out, check this out. This is my favorite book from when I grew up. This or this? Now this is fun. So this is Bellingham. Our sweet new girl. This is one thing I want you to know. Well, I think I freaked him out. Man walked up to me in the store and they asked me this question. It's actually the most popular question I've been asked lately. Is Pastor, do you believe we are living in the end times? And I freaked him out because this was my response. I said, Oh, I hope so. And he looked a little perplexed, so I kept talking and I asked him a question. I'm like, have you actually read how the Bible ends? I mean, for the followers of Jesus, the, the end of the story is the beginning of hope. It's fantastic. When Jesus comes back, hope is restored. When Jesus intervenes, hope rules and reigns. It's a really, really good ending. So if we're in the end times, boy, I sure hope that is true. When Jesus steps in, Sin and cancer, racism and death, COVID, macular degeneration, human wisdom, taxes and frustration, they all step off and step out. So I can only hope that we're getting closer to that day. And just to encourage all of you who are followers of Jesus, I have good news for you. We have no idea when Jesus is coming back, but we are one day closer today. So I leave the store after that question and that conversation and there's a guy on the street corner screaming at people at the top of his lungs. If you're wearing a mask, you're wearing the mark of the beast. You are the spawn of Satan. You're evil. You're going to burn in hell forever. You have punched your ticket to the lake of fire. I'm like, what? What was contradictory to me was the fact he's wearing a t-shirt that says Jesus loves you on it. And all I know is this, okay? He was behaving badly. And as we turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this is the issue in the church in Corinth. There were Christians behaving badly. And as discouraging as it may be, the issue in every church since then has been that there are moments when there are Christians behaving badly. I spent much of this week talking to discouraged Jesus followers. And their discouragement was both real and legitimate. Marriages were struggling People had lost jobs and income. The school year is now in question. How is that actually going to work? Dreams have been delayed or postponed. Loved ones have been dying and there's been no opportunity for family members to be present. The news is pretty overwhelming these days. The future looks really bleak. I mean, let's just be honest. Life is really, really challenging right now. And that's actually not new. I'm not sure if that's encouraging or not, but that, this is not a new phenomenon. In the city of Corinth, followers of Jesus were under intense pressure. They were facing sickness, disease, persecution, living under the hand, uh, the heavy hand of the Roman Empire. There was no relief in sight. That was their reality, and their pastor, the Apostle Paul, he spoke into it. And what's amazing to me is the similarities between this ancient description and our current reality. Here's what Paul says. Verse number 5 of 2 Corinthians 4. For what we preach is not ourselves... But Jesus Christ as Lord. Okay, we have to stop there for a second. We preach Jesus as Lord because Jesus is the answer. 
Jesus is the answer to fear, the answer to anger, the answer to unrest, the answer to racism, the answer to division. Jesus is actually the unifying factor of all of these things. He is the healer. He's the hope for injustice. We preach Jesus because he's the only hope for humanity. Somebody say amen in their living room. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul goes on, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure. What treasure is that? It's the the treasure of the hope of Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Anybody else feeling a little fragile these days? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And then come the famous words. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. So I dropped an egg last week. Did not go well for the egg or for me because I had to clean it up, right? And that's kind of the way life feels these days, right? It's just very fragile, easily broken. And I'm not going to make light of any of the challenges that any of us are facing today because this is our current reality. We are hard-pressed on every side. I'm seeing this firsthand Watching parents trying to figure out how are we going to juggle school and work. I'm seeing this as people are facing the loss of income or a job. They've been able to limp along for a certain amount of time. And now it's just getting down to that really difficult season. I'm especially seeing this in marriages. The pressure of everything is beginning to attack these primary relationships. In fact, I saw it so often this past week. I wrote a prayer letter As so many couples are facing unbelievably difficult issues, they're faced with more proximity than they've ever had. I mean, some of you haven't been together this much since your honeymoon, right? And then you layer on all of the challenges that are coming. Pressure is pushing in on you. All of the projects are done at the house, and you're wondering, what do I do now? Work pressure is there, pressing in on you. Competing priorities are, are, are pushing you, and, and there seems to be no win, and, and, and the bills aren't getting paid, and all of that cleaning that you did back in March, it's gone. It's gone, and you're just faced with each other, and that's a challenge. And then on top of that, you can't escape You can't go on vacation, at least not the way you thought you were going to be able to go. And the thought of road tripping with them, that person, is almost unbearable. So let's just stop quickly and do an exercise. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. You remember that, right? Your pastor probably talked about it at your wedding. There's a little description in there about what love actually looks like. Go down the list and evaluate yourself, not your partner, yourself. Scale of one to ten. Am I patient? Am I kind? Do I envy? Do I boast? Am I proud? And if I am proud, of what? Do I keep a record of wrongs? There's a tough one. Do I rejoice in the truth? Do I protect? Do I trust? Do I hope? 
Will I persevere? Will I choose to be like God who is love and love never fails? So do the exercise and then invite Jesus to work on you. Leave your partner out of it. These are tough days. We are hard pressed on every side. We are perplexed. We all have big questions, don't we? Why doesn't God just fix it? Why doesn't he just snap his fingers and make COVID go away? Why is this happening to us? Other questions. Is this whole COVID thing, is it a hoax? What if I get it? What do I do now? We're perplexed. We're persecuted. You know, I don't know if you've noticed, but being a Jesus follower is not exactly a ticket to popularity right now. Now, let's be truthful about what Paul was referring to. To Paul, persecution meant beatings and imprisonment, not dirty looks and harsh words. Not many of us face that kind of persecution, but there is pressure right now. Persecuted, we are struck down because the uncertainty and the pain, they just keep coming. I mean, what's that old adage, right? When it rains, it pours, right? So we are, we are knocked down. We've been struck down by fear, by exhaustion, by a lack of faith. We're knocked down by life, and it all adds up to feeling unbelievably fragile. It's just like everything is coming apart. But what if we're stronger than we think? What if we're not as weak as Satan wants us to think that we are? What if we have access to a power and a hope today that could actually sustain us through anything? Here's the amazing part of the scripture. I only read you the first part of each statement. There's so much more. In fact, it's the power of hope. Paul says we're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Our reality is our reality, but there's so much more to our reality that's supernatural because of the presence of Jesus. So let's come back to the egg for a second. The egg is fragile, okay? And when it's left to itself, it's going to crack every single time. But when it's positioned with a godly perspective, believe it or not, God has actually designed it to withstand unbelievable pressure. You may remember this from your elementary school days, right? When the egg is placed in the palm of your hand, even the most intense pressure from life and questions and persecution and actual events can't crush what appears to be fragile, right? I'm squeezing as hard as I can, but because of the position of the egg and my perspective on the pressure, it will not be crushed. Now, that's counterintuitive, right? We, we all know eggs are weak. Eggs are weak. In fact, let's challenge the assertion. Kids, if you're watching in the room, go get an egg and stand on top of mom's favorite rug in your house right now and do the experiment with me. Put the egg in the palm of your hand, wrap your fingers around it, and squeeze as hard as you possibly can, right? There's something counterintuitive. We all know eggs are weak, but what if we know wrong? What if an egg has actually been uniquely designed to withstand unbelievable pressure as long as it's placed in the right position, right? I'm so fragile, but because of God's unique design, the truth is I can withstand intense pressure as long as I trust God to define both my position and my perspective. Let's unpack that together. The power of position. 
So what preserves the fragile is actually the construction of its identity and the position of its proximity to God. So the truth is this. I am not a weak, fragile victim, according to Jesus. According to Jesus, I am a child of the Most High God and a warrior. Some of us respond, but I don't feel like a warrior. It doesn't matter how you feel. It matters what God says and how Jesus defines you. You are his. Listen to his truth from Isaiah chapter 49. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. Can a mother forget her baby and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. For some of you, that's all you needed to hear today. Your name is engraved on the palm of God's hand. The Hebrew word is kafim. It means the spoon of your hand. It's a place of protection, a place of shelter, a place of warmth. I mean, think about your own palm for just a second, right? If you were going to secure something and hold it precious, you would place palm upon palm. That would be an intensely safe place for you to be. The palm of your hand is what you extend when you are receiving the blessing of God. The palm of your hand is what you turn upwards when you're releasing a blessing of worship back towards God. When you position yourself right here in the kafim, the spoon of God's hand, you're taking him at his word. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's what the Bible says. And even though pressure may come and press in on you, with everything that it has, you can withstand it and not lose hope because you are positioned with the resilient strength of God in the intimate palm of God's hand. This position really, really matters. But so does the power of perspective. So Paul is saying, I'm strong in my position in Christ and because of his strength at work in me, this is my perspective. Verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Church, don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, don't, don't lose sight of this and don't get all offended because Paul calls your troubles light and momentary, okay? Okay. Some of us get offended by that. How dare he call them light and momentary? To me, they are heavy and perpetual, okay? Paul is not making fun of this. He's not talking down. In fact, Paul is not making this label light and momentary from some ivory tower of unlimited pleasure where there is no pressure. In fact, I want you to listen to Paul describe his life to us and then remember he still put all of what I'm going to read to you under the category of light and momentary. Paul says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. 
Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. If you're doing the math, it's 195 lashes. Most human beings died at less than 40. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I feel the daily pressure of my concern for all of the churches who is weak and I don't feel weak, who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Paul understands life can be hard. He said he faced trouble every single day and he's not belittling our pain. He's saying, I actually understand your pain. And so does Jesus Jesus is described in the book of Hebrews as our great high priest, one who can sympathize with our weaknesses because he went through it all. He experienced it all. Abandonment, hurt, loneliness, pain. And yet somehow, something sustained him through unbelievably difficult days. Apparently, Paul discovered the same secret to being able to get through unbelievably difficult days. And I believe that the key he's laying out here is in the position that we place ourselves in the kafim, in the spoon of God's hand, and also this unbelievably godly perspective. He actually tells us what to do. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's get really, really practical. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Church, let me ask you a question. What are you watching all day long? What do you feed through your eyes? Harder question. Can you honestly say that you believe the will of God for your life is to watch YouTube COVID conspiracy videos all day long? Honestly. Harder question. What do you spend more time watching? Fox News, CNN, or Jesus? Where do you turn for eternal truth? I heard this line the other day. I thought it was fantastic. Don't say God is silent if your Bible's closed. Right? I'm not talking about ignoring reality. I'm not talking about not paying attention. I'm not talking about understanding what's happening in the world around us. That's unbelievably important. I'm talking about understanding reality through the filter of eternity. I mean, honestly, who do you spend more time with? Your favorite talk show host, your favorite blogger, or the Holy Spirit of God? I mean, it's amazing to me that we think so much about this tiny little vapor of life when eternity is stretched out on both ends, calling for our attention. As a follower of Jesus, here's what I'm called to. 
I'm called to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love my neighbor as myself. I am not called to watch news all day long with my eyes filled with skepticism, angst, and ignore my neighbor because I truly believe they should have to take care of themselves. It's really this simple. Do you remember back to the series we did on Ecclesiastes? It seems like forever ago. Solomon, the richest man ever, said his deduction was his life was a vapor. Some of you remember, I had a little steam iron that I brought up here during the series. And every once in a while, I would just go and fill the air with some vapor, and it was just gone like that. It wasn't just a a vapor, it was a fragile vapor. It just disappeared. It dissipated. Solomon's conclusion, our conclusion was, we're here for a breath, And then the rest is eternity. So when was the last time, instead of spending all of your time focusing myopically on everything that's broken in front of you, when was the last time you thought about eternity? Now I know, some of us struggle with the thought of eternity. I was talking with a friend the other day who was struggling with the thought of eternity and he and I were having a conversation back and forth. And he was being very honest in that moment. He's just like, you know, the thought of church 24 hours a day, this is not that best. I don't like singing, so uh, I don't know if that sounds like something I, I should be excited about. Could I offer you a little bit of a different picture of heaven? The Bible says that heaven is the fulfillment of all things. That it's perfection lived out for eternity. That it's highly relational and connected. I believe there will be unlimited opportunities to worship Jesus and that he will be in the center of all things. But when it comes to the personal part of heaven, let me ask you a question. What's your favorite thing to do ever? For my friend, he, he, loved work, he loves working on cars. He likes restoring classics. What if Jesus has a custom car garage? And every day you could restore another one of your favorite classics. And while you're tinkering on that engine, Jesus answered every single question you've ever had. And he connected all of the dots And while you were engaging in one of your passions, he explained the why behind everything you're facing for your whole life. What if you love books? I mean, what if you are an avid book reader and heaven has the most epic library that you can even comprehend? And what if heaven for you was Jesus taking you into that library and pulling down the book that he wrote about your life and he opens it and he actually read it to you and explained how all of the different pieces went together and all of the moments when he was there and showed up when you didn't even know that it was him. I mean, what if you had an eye for eternity that wrapped in the most beautiful gifts that God has given you here and you thought of heaven as the fulfillment of all of those things in perfection if you can keep one eye on that eternal glory that far outweighs them all, could it be that we would actually look at our life today and say, I understand why Paul would call them light 
and momentary. I mean, the Bible says there's an eternal glory waiting. And when I keep one eye on reality and one eye on eternity, it makes this life not a burden but an opportunity. I put it in your outline this way. Without an eternal perspective, our current reality is crushing, filled with despair, lonely, and devastating. But with a clear vision of eternity, that eternal glory, our current reality is actually hopeful, promising, filled with opportunities for us. I'm so excited to think about what God might do with a group of Jesus followers and a box of vegetables. I'm so thrilled to think about what might happen if we actually sacrificed some of our time and we actually lived out the mission of Jesus practically with people who are scared lonely, and don't have a clue where to turn for hope right now. So let's come full circle. My friend from the store, right? The guy that I freaked out. His question, Pastor, do you think that, do you think we're in the end times? And my response is, oh, I hope so. (laughs) Well, we keep talking. And he begins to open up about the pressure that he's feeling, what's wrapping around his life right now. And he shared with me the pressure of trying to take care of aging parents and how he's trying to be safe for them and safe for he and his wife. Talked about the struggle of his wife having to wear a mask when she already struggles with COPD. He talked about uh, being the parent of adopted kids who came from around the world and have had to face racism right here in our community. He talked about economic instability and what it's like to face life right now on a fixed income. So this is what we did. Instead of just spinning in a circle and thinking that life is really hard right now, we made a decision to place ourselves in the kafim of God's hand. We took a step towards the presence of God We placed ourselves in the safest place knowing that there is real pressure pressing in around us. And we prayed together. We kept one eye on our current reality and prayed about real things, but we also kept one eye on the eternal glory that will far outweigh them all. And the most amazing thing happened. God showed up. And his presence was real and tangible and we felt safe and protected because the Prince of Peace came and we experienced him together. We made a decision to live out what you sang a little earlier. (laughs) It is so sweet to trust in Jesus just to take him at his word just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord. I'm so glad I learned to trust him, precious Jesus, Savior, friend, and I know that he is with me, will be with me to the end. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust his cleansing blood and in simple faith to plunge me neath the healing, cleansing flood. 
Yes, it is sweet to trust in Jesus just from sin and self to cease. Just from Jesus simply taking life and rest and joy and peace. So we asked you a question a little earlier in the service. And all of the percentages are kind of rolling in right now. We asked you a question about how, how loneliness has been affecting you during this particular time. And my friend Drew, who many of you have gotten to know, he's one of our online hosts, has just texted me the results. And You know, it's fascinating. But 28% said not at all. And I actually... I've had a few conversations that I thought in my mind, the reason why about 28% of you last night, it was about 36% or so, said that loneliness has not affected me all. I promise you the reason for that is because you have some level of biblical community in your life. You have people, and they're looking after you, and you're looking after them. 2% actually said less than before. Those are probably all of the, 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 the introverts in the group that are there. About 10% said no difference, 46% said a little, 14% said a lot. So if you interpret that and extrapolate that out, I mean, I want you to think about this. 60% of the people that we poll today that are watching this service say they have experienced some level of loneliness that's not normal in their life. Please don't miss this. 60% that are experiencing that are actually in the family of God. If 60% of us are experiencing some uptick of loneliness, can you imagine what the rest of the world is feeling right now? And who's the answer to that? Jesus and us. Church, we may have lost a bit of our passion as this thing has dragged on and on and on, our passion to reach out and love others, but the mission hasn't changed. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we're experiencing this level of loneliness, how much more will people with no hope Without an eye for the eternal glory that weighs them all, how much more do we need to actually love them in this season? How much more do we need to love one another right now in practical terms? So what if you took some of the time that you are looking at the condition of the world and dedicated that to actually looking towards the condition of the people that God has strategically placed around you? What if this week, with a perspective that I'm going to accomplish God's mission, and a perspective that I'm going to keep one eye on eternity, what if all of us placed ourselves in the kafim of God's hand? And in spite of all of the pressure around us, what if we took that position and held on to the perspective that eternity is going to turn all of this into an afterthought someday? What if we sought the peace of God in this moment? And what if instead of keeping it for ourselves, we actually shared it?
I wonder how different Whatcom County would be if the people of God who positioned themselves with God's covering, I wonder what we could accomplish if we took the hope of glory and shared it. Would you pray with me right now as we close? God, it's just so easy to keep the hope of glory for ourselves. It's so easy to get caught up in what is happening around us. It's so easy to focus on this broken world instead of lifting our eyes and saying, God, I'm going to live in my reality, but what I'm going to do is bring the hope of heaven here. And the way I'm going to do it is to position myself in the spoon of your hand so that no matter what pressure comes against me, that I can live victorious and full of strength. So God, this week, would you give us eyes bigger than ourselves, allow us to see what it is that you are doing and accomplishing. And God, may we be active, active in positioning ourselves, active in choosing an eternal perspective, and active in sharing the hope of glory with those that you've placed around us. God, may we be busy this week doing that kind of work. And we pray these things. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Hey, everybody, thank you for participating today. It was good to hear from you. We hope to continue to do that every once in a while as we continue to engage and walk in these days that are so unbelievably troubling, but at the same time so unbelievably filled with opportunity. I pray that you'll take those opportunities this week. And I believe that, that so much of this, standing strong in these days, starts with a declaration, a declaration of it is well with my soul.